my name is Idris Lanre Ajakaye. Uh, most of my friends call me Lanre. I am a real estate developer, social entrepreneur. Um, some people call me a change maker. I don't call myself that typically. Sometimes I, I label myself that only because people have started calling me that. Um, my ventures are typically vested and intertwined gaps in the community uh, to empower the community. Uh, my experience is part corporate, part startup, part nonprofit uh, throughout areas like uh, New York in Manhattan, uh, Rhode Island and different areas in DC. Um, we'll talk a lot more. My latest venture is 25 Bow Street, the 25 Bow Street development, which we'll talk a lot more about. Uh, 25bow, B-O-U-G-H.com is the uh, website and uh, looking forward to talking uh, more with Evangelos about this. Lander, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, you've certainly had a long and successful career. Uh, I believe at first you were at Ardor, which is a, a brokerage in Manhattan. And then you were uh, director of sales operations at MetLife for several years. Uh, and you reached the position of senior manager there of uh, sales development. And later you were a triple A where you were director of marketing operations. And I tell you, a person with your corporate background is the last person I would expect would become a social entrepreneur, especially dealing with social ventures at the scale of 25 bow. So I was wondering what happened. Uh, how come you decided to make this transition? Yeah, yeah, the, the funny thing is, um, so first, before all of that, before I got to Ardor, Realty and um, you know had a great great career with now my good friend Christakis Shamili. Um, I was number two in the nation for sales with MetLife for group auto and home sales. So a lot of my acumen came from there. Um, and then I went to New York actually and started real estate in Manhattan, um, where I went from, as you mentioned, being an agent to the manager um, to running the company under Chris and uh, learning a lot about real estate there. But, but the, the funny thing is I was always doing social entrepreneurship, um, even while I was doing everything else you mentioned. Uh, I just didn't put it to the forefront because quite frankly, you know, I think companies are different now, Evangelos, mm -hmm. but back in the day, they only wanted you to focus on one thing. So the belief was you worked at a company, you just did that, and there was no side hustle or anything else you were doing. But, you know, my parents are from Lagos, Nigeria, I'm Nigerian American, first generation. And in Nigerian culture, we're very entrepreneurial. So I was doing ventures all along. Let me give you an example. So while I was at MetLife, as you mentioned, I did a venture called the New England Family Fun Festival. And essentially, I saw that on April school vacation, there wasn't anything really quality happening in my state. Um, so I brought together across 40,000 square feet. This thing was huge. Um, I brought together, you know, an event that had, you know, artists, musicians, bands, learning uh, organizations locally like Save the Bay, organizations like the RISD, Rhode Island School of Design Museum were part of it, Home Depot. I had entertainers every hour on the hour, magicians, face painters, and essentially, I marketed this on April school vacation. Uh, but the key is I got 11 corporate sponsors, people like Enterprise, uh, out here, Bank, RI, Courtesy Kia. And I made it so that a family of four or five 
could go to an event and stay for hours for $15 and less. Uh So to me, that was social entrepreneurship, right? Because I was providing a service that was great for the community. They were looking for it, 40,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. It looked like, you know, an indoor amusement park indoors. And I had 6,232 people attend that. Um, So that, you know, is, yeah. So that's one of the, the first kind of things from a social entrepreneurship perspective I've done. I also uh, help my wife to create, I do the strategy, the marketing, the brand architecture, uh, the leading women's event now in our area, which is called Rise, WLC.com. Uh, Rise, um, again, was born out of, you know, us feeling like uh, my wife and I, like there, there should be more, there should be a better event for women's empowerment in our area. Um, we now have 34 corporate sponsors, it's our fifth year. We bring a thousand women to the convention center every year. Um, so that's another form of social entrepreneurship. And beyond that, just within the roots of my family, when I was younger, my father would have us as a family volunteer at different uh, food uh, pantries and places. And you'll laugh, Evangelos, but one of my jobs when I was young was to roll up the fish and flour um, so that they could fry it. <laughs> it's, it's, still um, one of, it's still one of my jobs at my house. It's still one of your jobs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good job. As long as you don't sample the goods too much, you know what oh. I mean? <laughs> you got so, the wrong guy for this, my friend. I know, <laughs> right. I know. I'm the that's, same thing. Yeah. It's an incentive, right? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great incentive. Right. So so that was, that was a big... Um, so I, I, that's been part of my family since I've been young. You know, my father, God rest his soul, he passed away last year. Um, he, he started our family off like that. My father is, you know, the type of guy, and I do this today, where... You know, if a homeless person comes up to me and and they ask for money, I don't give them money. But if they're hungry, I will stop typically what I'm doing and go get them food or and bring it back to them or, you know, get them food in line, whatever it is. That's just the family, the type of family I I grew up in. So social entrepreneurship has been in my upbringing from the very beginning. And I've been doing it on the side of working these high level jobs at Fortune 50 MetLife. You know, AAA Northeast, a great, great uh, company with a great president, forward-thinking president. Um, and, I, and I just, I could do it. I could balance it all, um, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And which were the skills that uh, you gained in your corporate career that have been the most useful to you in this project and other projects uh, as a social entrepreneur? Oh, that's a great question. So in, in my corporate career, you know, I, I'm Agile certified, um, Six Sigma Yellow. Uh, project management uh, certification. So I have, yeah, yeah. So um, Agile is a way of leading projects in sprints, um, essentially. So you focus on one component of what you're doing at a time. Yeah. Uh, You finish that and then you move on to the next component. That's the easiest way to explain Agile. It Uh came out of software development and now it's extended to a lot of different companies that they use in a project management format. Typically, the the reason they use that is because it's very highly collaborative. So people come together, you know, you get a Kanban board. Um, So that's one um, skill that's been highly useful. Project management, of course, uh, looking at, you know, the kind of uh, crashing, looking at 
resources, um, you know, your, your strain on resources, um, all of the disciplines that come within project management have been useful. I actually got certified at the New York Technical Institute. Um, so, so that has been incredibly useful. Um, I have an MBA, of course, from Boston University, uh, international marketing uh, specialization. So that's been, that's been incredibly useful. And then Six Sigma, uh, just overall, is a discipline which teaches you to look at the steps in a process. And the easiest way that I can say it is, how many steps can you eliminate to get to the end result? So anything you do, it kind of uh, gives you a discipline where you look at things most efficiently and in the way that you can uh, finish and produce an outcome with uh, the most efficiency. So all of those things come together uh, for what I'm doing today. On top of it, in New York, um, I had attained the level of real estate broker in New York. Um, so I took the test. I was a real estate broker. Um, you know, so I had residential experience, commercial experience. And I bought my first property in Rhode Island when I was 24. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so bought that property when I was 24 at MetLife. And I've done flips in Baltimore because uh, I, I was sure I could get in and out. And I did. Um, as far as you know, finding a property, renovating it, and selling it uh, for quite a bit more than what I bought it for within yeah. a six-week span. So all of those skill sets, including innovation, strategy, uh, entrepreneurship, come forth today in what I'm doing. Yep. Let's focus on 24, uh, 25 Bow Street. Uh, can you describe your overall vision for 25 Bow as well as for the immediate neighborhood of, uh, of the building that you have purchased uh, sure. and, and the extended neighborhood of, uh, of the town where it's located. I believe it's located in Olneyville, correct? Yeah, it's located in Olneyville, absolutely correct, which um, has a distinction that once upon a time, the, what arguably is the best baseball player in the world, Babe Ruth, played there on um, the Messers. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. On the Mester Street Playgrounds, he played for a team called the Providence Grays. Mm -hmm. uh, so Onlyville is a town, kind of like if you look at, um, you know, Greenpoint or Tribeca, mm -hmm. it has a lot in New York. It has yeah. a lot of like mills and old mill buildings and factories. It once was a haven for uh, jewelry manufacturing. And then when that business went away to, you know, to other parts of the world, um, you know, Onlyville became desolate for a long period of time. Um, so it's, it's kind of just coming out of that. So if you go to Onlyville today, you will still see, and I'll preface this, on the exterior, a lot of graffiti. Um, so you'll still see that today. But in the interior, um, the projects that are going on are from developers that are from all over the U.S. You know, mm -hmm. the two buildings next to me from a Boston developer. Uh, he's building a 40-room boutique hotel and an indoor mall on my on Bow Street. How come? Is, um, it, is it very close to Providence? Uh, Onlyville is in Providence. Okay, so, so, it's a, so it's a neighborhood of Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the wards in Providence, Rhode Island. I see. So, yeah, so, so it's right smack dab in the middle. And, and, you know, to go back to my vision, you know, your first question, my mission and vision, yeah. it, it 
I think it starts with the context of the area of Angelos. So the context of the area, Onlyville, as it stands, was the most impacted zip code by COVID-19 in Rhode Island, period. Um, You know, median household incomes are some of the lowest in the state. um, And by virtue of that, some of the lowest in the United States, period. Um, You know, health outcomes in Onlyville, there are a lot of fast food restaurants. So it's a food desert in many respects. Um, You know, life expectancies, um, as quoted from the Rhode Island Department of Health, are nine years less than the rest of the state. Um, You know, the educational outcomes for some uh, huge groups in Providence, because Providence is over 60% communities of color. Uh, We have a very huge, very, very diverse community here. You know, in Providence, we have, you know, people that are you know, Dominican, Guatemalan, uh, from Colombia, Nigeria, Ghana, Liberia, all in one melting pot. It's just incredible, um, the cultures that we have here, Southeast Asian community. But, um, but here, all of that is going around Onlyville and Providence, everything that I mentioned to you. So the vision for 25 Bow Street is for me to take a building which at the moment is 15,794 square feet, an old mill building. Um, By the time it's done, it will be 22,000 square feet because I'm gonna build out on the roof and take that and empower the community with use cases, uh, commercial, you know, mixed use cases that are private and public. So what do I mean by that? So some of the things that will be in, in Bow Street as I speak to you, I'm actually negotiating contracts with a financial institution that will be in the building that is not currently in the city at the moment. Um, you know, there will be a health and wellness cafe there. To what I just said previously, you know, it's a health equity zone is what it's called. You know, health outcomes are deplorable. Here will be a health and wellness cafe. And I've been talking to a very large natural foods provider about partnering there with the community, which maps to their goals as well, their corporate sustainability goals. Um, Beyond that, there will be within 25 Bow Street, a futures hub. The futures hub or early learning center will be a place that will be open on weekends, after schools in summer, and it will teach different things like financial literacy. So Mm -hmm. I've already worked with a company called the Financial Literacy Youth Initiative uh, that will be in the building teaching that. There will be virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality training. Though that company is Winner's Circle, uh, which will already be in 25 Bow Street. There will be development and coding training uh, from a company called Career Devs. They already have that ongoing. They're going to do a satellite office at 25 Bow Street. Are these uh, the, are these for profit organizations or that are these are uh, mostly nonprofit organizations that are in the space or that will be in the space. So you're making uh, sure. So you're making sure that you're leasing the space to nonprofits that will come up that will propose. So what do they do? They they propose programs as they are in their application or whatever they are or in their negotiations with you. Do they propose? programs that are beneficial to the community? Is that part of that? No, they don't, they don't propose programs to me. They're already doing these programs. So uh, I'll oh. give you an example. Yeah. I, I from, on a social, I'll take you back to social entrepreneurship. I'm the director and founder of our city's uh, travel team. So it's basketball. So I have 40 to 50 young men that play for me that the majority are black and brown um, because mm-hmm. that, that's the city. 
Um, so as part of that program, Evangelos, I made them actually take financial literacy and we did a real estate seminar on commercial and residential mm-hmm. real estate. All of them want to play basketball, but I actually tie the program in to learnings and teachings that they don't get in school. So that program, which I actually did just last weekend at, mm-hmm. at a conference room at a place called John Hope Settlement House, that was done by the Financial Literacy Youth Initiative. So that program is not proposed. She's already doing it. She's already getting national um, acclaim. Her name is Marcy Reyes. She's already getting national acclaim. She's already in high schools, starting to penetrate high schools. This will just be another place that people can get that. The Winner's Circle program is already going on. The Career Devs program, you know, you know, shout out to Arnell, that's already going on. So he's taking people, condensing a four-year computer science degree into one year, and then the, the people are coming out making eighty to $200,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those programs are already going on. I don't need to propose it. The key is mm-hmm. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. For some of this, I just need to give them the space. And then when it's all said and done, they're going to be in one space to my, to my vision that empowers the community. It That's actually it. maps with gaps in the community. And then on top of it, it also uh, serves a purpose. And then I'm getting rent because I have private and public partnerships. The other things that are uh, part of the vision in 25 Bow Street, there's a multi-purpose function hall that's upstairs, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's probably 3,500 square feet. It's just a really, really well-lit space. Um, so that will be rented for corporate events, birthday parties, quinceaneras, small format weddings. Um, beyond the Futures Hub downstairs, uh, we mentioned development with Career Devs. There will be more development with the Empowerment Group. The yep. Empowerment Group, uh, I-M-P-O-W-E-R-M-E-N-T, not Empowerment with an E. They spelled it a different way. Mm-hmm. But that program, um, they will be also teaching real estate. So not real estate like servicing, being a broker or being a real estate agent, they're going to be teaching what they do. So the owners of the empowerment group, they, for the last 10 years, bought two to three properties a year. Now they just work for themselves off of passive income. So they're going to be teaching real estate investment and those things, again, to youth that don't get this education in school. Um, So that's the vision. The vision is I'm going to take a dilapidated blighted building that's been blighted, not used for anything significant for the last 12 to 15 years. And I'm going to renovate that to a community empowering facility that people will learn from, they'll get better from, they'll be able to better their lives from. That's the vision. Terrific. Um, You're bringing value into the community by developing the building, just, just doing that. That's great. And then, of course, the programs that you're bringing in uh, are bringing even more value. Um, there are a lot of examples like this in the United States, not, not enough, I think, and around the world. But, but there are a lot of situations where when this happens, the developer is accused for uh, causing gentrification. Yeah, so here, here's how I look at it. Um, so y- yes, there is always that, that, that fear and that reality that as things get better, some people get pushed out. Um, So absolutely. For my project, the things you need to understand, although I've lived in New York, DC, 
and a Jamaican at one point. Um, I'm a native of Providence, Rhode Island. So I'm, I'm from here, born and raised. So I'm not coming from outside to develop. I'm not coming from outside with a solution. Um, I'm known in the community. Some people call me coach. Some people know me from AAA. Some people know me uh, from you know, different leadership programs, but I, I'm known in the community from the community. So I think you'd be absolutely right for the area that I'm in, that if I was doing a project, let's say my project was building commercial uh, rental spaces at market rate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You'd be absolutely right that I would be helping to further gentrification. But in my, my case, I actually think I'm one of the projects and I don't say it because it's me. I say it because I'm familiar with the other projects that are going on around me. I think I'm one of the projects that's going to give people a reason to come to that area that yeah. look like the majority of the city. The majority of the city in Onlyville, you know, 63% of people are Latino. 15% of them are African-American. So, you know, will they come to a flower farm? Maybe, right? Um, but, but the use case that I have, um, I know that they'll be there for because it speaks directly to them that's in the community. It solves gaps in the community. So will some of that happen in Onlyville and Providence? Yes, it's already been happening to a larger extent for the last 10, 12 years. Um, but my particular project, I don't think it accelerate. My particular project definitely doesn't accelerate gentrification. It actually provides something for the community at large to benefit from, be empowered by, learn from, and be proud of because I'm Absolutely. native. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily, of course, mean that you uh, that it doesn't cause gentrification. In fact, the projects. Uh, first of all, I want to clarify that. I am a, a critic of those who accuse developers who, who develop projects like yours uh, for having caused the gentrification and whatnot. Because frankly, it's a, it's a natural kind of outgrowth of uh, outcome of uh, uh, projects uh, which uh, which are community they have the community uh, in mind. I mean, what are you going to do? Just allow the community to fall apart? I mean, it's doing that already. The only yeah. way is a way up. Creating projects like this. But then there are critics who, you know, the moment that you develop a project like this, they will say, oh my God, you know, the uh, gentries are going to enter and, you know, they're going to push away the population and whatnot. Um, the, um, I guess the, uh, the, the issue um, that, I, I wanted to ask a question and totally forgot what it was. <laughs> no worries, um, no worries. Um, oh, yes, that's the question. So I guess, at least based on my understanding of uh, how gentrification works, the only way to prevent gentrification is uh, through community ownership, meaning uh, when the community actually owns their buildings, they own the place where they live in, and they cannot be pushed off by greedy landlords who uh, will need to, who will uh, inevitably uh, raise rents, etc. And it's actually a project like yours will actually bring tangible value to these people's lives because the fact that uh, if they own a property, they, their property will gain value, they'll be able to uh, borrow against it, 
Sure. In my mind, there's no doubt about that. Um, is there any, I mean, it's not your job or anything to do that, to provide it, but are there any uh, efforts, any in programs, any attempts uh, in Olneyville to raise community ownership, to, uh, to improve the, the rate, I guess, of ownership, uh, home ownership in, in the neighborhood? Yeah. Um, so there, there are, and I, I'd say broader Providence and the state of Rhode Island. So there, there are a couple different efforts at that. So one is a, a recent program that just came out for first time home buyers. Uh, there's a certain amount of money that they can get in grants um, towards purchasing the first home. So that, that's one. Uh, two, this idea that you're talking about of co-op uh, ownership, uh, ownership and trust. There are many different formats it can take um, or even the way that, that I began, which is you know, regulation C is in Charles, F is in Frank. Um, this idea that the community can partake and be part of the journey. Mm -hmm. um, those discussions are going on in, in a lot of different places. I've actually been invited to at least three meetings now um, on that very topic of how do we make it so that the community owns the properties and the buildings to your point, because when they own the properties and buildings, they're acutely aware of what's needed in the area. Yeah. It's not a guess. It's not something that's being brought in because, you know, it makes the most money, but it's something that's being brought in because it balances being profitable, being sustainable, and it also benefits the community at large, which right. is the key, the, the at large, the community that's there now, which most of the businesses that come in, they may not have that thought process or consciousness if they're from different areas, right? Because they didn't, they're not, it's not a lived experience for them. So you yeah. can't blame them. It's just not a lived experience for them. So there it are is, various- it is pretty, It's pretty hard though to, to own anything where you, you make 20 grand a year. <laughs> uh, so say that one more time. Oh, I'm sorry. It's pretty hard to own anything, to buy anything, to buy a stake of anything when you only make $20,000 a year in the United States, especially at this time. Oh, for sure, yeah. When you're making under you know, 35,000 household income, yeah, the, definitely. So you have to say to yourself, what are the things that have to happen first? And this is part of what goes into Bow Street. One is, is economic empowerment education that needs to be had, right? Yeah. Savings, investments. Um, like all of that information or the, the language of wealth isn't really taught in schools. So absolutely. Then the other one is pathways to the careers of the future and demand driven jobs. So sometimes people have to be shown those pathways, right? Mm -hmm. Because if it's not in their family structure, then they may not know how to get to those pathways that can help their family to come out and, and raise themselves up. So I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, as far as the project, uh, your vision is, uh, is amazing. But at which stage are you today in terms of construction? Yeah, so I'm, I'm at a great place. So the project has been uh, shovel ready. Uh, I had to clean out 15 dumpsters of, tra wow. of, of trash out of there. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff in there. Um, so I've done environmental remediation, 
all the stuff that's not really sexy that people don't really know uh, about, uh, but you still need to do as a developer. Uh, so I'm doing a, asbestos abatement now oh, as no. we speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's an old it's mill building. Expensive. It's, right. it's, it's, it's to be expected, right? Yeah. Um, so finishing that out now. And then because of the unique time that we're in, um, in, the, in the US at the moment, um, I am in for application in different places for different things and I'm waiting uh, for the word on. I expect that to happen within three to four months. It's not going to be a fast process uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I've raised through uh, Regulation CF about a quarter of a million dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so to your earlier point about community vehicles where the community can somehow um, be vested in the improvement of their uh, of their community. That's actually how I started my project. And there are other organizations like Local Return. So shout out to uh, Jessica and Sue at Local Return and the team that are talking about this idea of co-ops, land trust, uh, community trust, and how that's done. So um, yeah, that's where I'm at with my project. Uh, so been working with the architect uh on drawings and, and layouts and yeah that's where we're at at the moment are you phasing the project in a way so that you can generate uh, income uh without having necessarily completed the whole thing yeah i think the way that i'm going to be able to to generate income while the building is being developed comes through my parking lot so in october of last year of angelos mm -hmm. i closed on a parking lot that gives me about 50 parking spaces. Onlyville is a densely populated area where a lot of the parking right now is off street. Um, so yeah, the parking lot and closing the 50, uh, 50 parking lot was, was big. So I can take that because again, there aren't places to park. There's a lot of activity that happens and I can make revenue with that in a couple of different ways. Although that's not, my primary focus at the moment, um, because that, that comes with implications as well. Uh, as we speak, I own the building and the parking lot free and clear, uh, just, just so you know. So I'm not, Crazy. you know, I have, I have insurance on it. I'm not like pressured or, you know, there's, there's no pressure I have where it's like a big loan that I'm paying every single month. I own it free and clear, parking lot and the building. Yeah, but the, uh, the, the reason why I'm asking is so that uh, there's a little less pressure to uh, to fundraise for when I say fundraise, I mean to uh, to find. Uh, I mean, how are you? How are you? So, so, so the construction you're funding the construction too, the whole thing. Yeah, I'll fund the whole development through the different uh, sources that I've applied for. So I I'm taking a very strategic a very strategic and patient approach um, to this development. Uh, again, because we're in a very unique time um, within the country at the moment. So I'm, I'm waiting to see over the next, I would say again, two to four months, what shakes out from some things that I've already uh, positioned and some places I'm already positioned. And then once I see what happens with that, um, then I can go to other funding sources um, as needed. Can we talk about the funding sources? Very interesting to me. I know that you raised one hundred fifty thousand dollars through crowdfunding. Uh, Actually, it was it was it was it was about two hundred and thirty. 
Oh, was it? Some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they had to list it the way that they listed it um, because some of the people in the back end had to go back and reapprove something that they didn't reapprove. So it's listed as 150, but I raised more like a quarter of a million. That's even better. Um, So that's 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 pretty unusual for real estate. I I guess uh, I guess it's not anymore, but it's not as uh, as usual as uh, syndication or something like that. Uh, Can you talk about uh, about that as well as the other sources, other um, uh, source of funding that uh, you have sought? Yeah, so um, so to go, regulation crowdfunding came out under the Obama Jobs Care Act in 2012. What it essentially allows you to do if you're approved by the SEC Security Exchange Commission, um, it allows you to position an offering to what are called non-accredited investors, which 96% or something like that of people are. So if you're making, you know, under 350,000 or have less than, I think it's like 1.5 million in, in liquid assets, you're a non-accredited investor. Most people are. Um, so it allows you to raise from them, position your offering as long as you get it approved and you do all the filings and the paperwork with the SEC. Um, and it has to be on a a FINRA registered portal like Startup Engine and uh, Republic and different and WeFunder, which is the one I was on. Um, so that was the first way. I did it really not knowing what I would get from it and only for a short period of time. Um, it's not, I think you mentioned a lot of people, I'm, I'm only one of, that I know of, uh, I'm the first person in New England that's navigated doing that for real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm only one of four African Americans in the nation that I know of that that have done that. Oh, um, wow. So, so it's not it's not really common. Um, and if you look for a lot of people that have used Reg CF for real estate, they're probably it's not like a plethora of people. Um, so, so that that's the first thing. I found it particularly great and useful because it allows the community to be part of the process. So the community is invested in the campaign. It was only $100 uh, to buy shares in the building at 55 cents a share. Uh, I had different campaign perks at different levels. And essentially, you know, they can be part of transforming a dilapidated, blighted building um, that either they used to live near or a city that they used to live in or go to school in, or they have family interests there or they're looking from afar and saying, you know what, this is just a great project and it needs to happen. So that's the mix of people I got. The other funding sources are state and federal. Um, So uh, just state and federal programs that are available to me uh, based on being a first generation uh, African-American real estate developer, uh, business owner. So I've applied for those and you know, after I see the shakeout of those at the state and the city level, then I will uh, go for um, SBA 504 if I need to, which, uh, you know, the, you can raise up to or you can finance up to five, six million. Okay, so um, back to crowdfunding for a second. That's uh, very exciting. What we were discussing before about community ownership of, uh, of the buildings. I mean, you're doing it, right? To a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, no, not a certain extent. I mean, I, I have right now 188 investors in the campaign. So, so how does how does that work? Because I mean, some people logistically would consider that a nightmare. Uh, 158 
small investors? Is it the syndication deal? How, how, do, how does it work exactly? Do they have a say yeah, in what so, you're going to do strategically or how does it work? Yeah, so uh, no, they don't They don't have, so those are a bunch of questions all in one. <laughs> Sorry about so, that. So let me, no, it's okay. Let me take one of them. Let me take, peel the layers of the onion one at a time. So the first thing is, um, they all are reflected under one uh, uh, one financial person on a cap table. So that's first. So it's not 188 investors. They all roll up into one. So you, you have to, as part of it, get somebody that agrees that they are kind of the point person for all the investors. So that that's one. So I did that. Um, so it's not 188. Obviously, you have um, you have to communicate to uh, the investors on what's going on. And I can do that right through the WeFunder platform. I send out a message, I hit send, it goes out to all the investors in two seconds. Um, so that that's first. Uh, the other uh, question that you had is uh, what do they get from it? So the way that I structured the deal is that uh, there's a four year vesting period. Um, after the four year vesting period, uh, based on operations, they will get a dividend. So that's how I structured it. Okay. Uh, you can do it in different ways, um, but that's how I did it. And again, there are other campaign perks that they got. So, you know, I, I have different campaign perks that are, you know, T-shirts or, you know, them being on a plaque somewhere, different things that, you know, some people look at that and they're like, wow, I really like that. And they invested. But a majority of people that invested, if it wasn't because of me or them knowing me and some of the things that I've done before, like I mentioned to you, like, you know, New England Family Fund, 6,000 people, Rise Women's Leadership Conference, um, you know, 1,000 women. We do it virtual and in person. Um, you know, if they didn't know some of those bigger things and they didn't do it for me, they did it because of the project itself. And they know the area and they're like, wow, this type of project is really needed to help uplift the community and help you know, show a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people a year, a different way. Um, so I don't know if that answers your questions. You had a bunch of questions. Oh, in there, so I, I think I got them all. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, the, uh, I'm just curious, uh, is this, like, where do you see yourself as a developer in uh, 10, 20 years? Like, uh, is, are you, you're saying that you're being very patient with a with a building. Uh, is your intent in 20, 20 years? I see myself uh, as a retired retired developer, <laughs> drinking mai tai somewhere, maybe in Puerto Rico. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but right, let's say ten years. <laughs> like, uh, are you are you hoping to uh, to focus on this building and just make sure that this really works well for yourself and the community, or do you see it as the beginning of development efforts of yours? In, in the same community or other communities as well of similar both. type both both so so both both of what you said so operational excellence has always been a part of my career as, as an executive um so operational excellence that the absolutely that has to be there like it has to run a certain way there you know every detail will be thought of as it has been for the vision the website and everything i do um, so that's first. Secondly, I do my I do see myself doing more projects that can intertwine um, needs of the community with um, development. So you know that may not 
take the shape of a 25 Bow Street again. Maybe it will um, in different cities and towns. And I'm open to that uh, throughout Rhode Island or Boston, Massachusetts. Um, that could take the form of affordable housing. So the profit margins are lower. That's okay. I'm not particularly greedy, right? Um, so that could take the, the, so yeah, I definitely do see myself. This is what I'm doing. I see. Um, and, and everything I do has to be with operational excellence. Yeah, you come to a RISE event, there's an energy, there's a way things happen. You know, my wife and I are very, very similar in our kind of thoughts on operational excellence. Um, so any anything we do, that's kind of what you see unfolding before you. You mentioned before that there are a lot of Boston investors, investors from... Uh, no, there's a lot of investors, not a lot of Boston investors. There are a lot of investors. A lot of investors. So I have about 188 investors. No, no, no. Uh, not, not your investors. I'm talking about investors in the area. You mentioned some. There are many investors from the. US. Oh, other developers. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yep. Other developers from. Forgive me. Yeah, I meant developers yes. yep. from all over the United States who are building condos and whatever. So these are affordable housing developments, or are they market rate developments? Now there, there is, um, to, to, so there are, there's a developer on my street who's from Boston, uh, down the street, there's a gentleman from Philadelphia, um, you know, the opposite way, there's a gentleman from Canada, there's an architect from Chicago, uh, there's a really, really great couple uh, from Seattle, who I've gotten to know very well, like them a lot, and um, you know, so the, it's it's a pretty diverse community now, quietly, amidst the the tagging and the graffiti, kind of if you lived in New York where you saw Tribeca, Greenpoint, Dumbo, mm -hmm. yeah. these areas um, in the past, or even Red Hook, you know kind of where things are going. So yeah, so that that's what's in and around me at the moment. So these are people who are purchasing multiple properties and trying to do something of significance, are they thinking along the ways, the same ways that you, you are thinking or are they hardcore profit-driven developers? Um, it's probably more, I wouldn't say hardcore, but they're probably more profit-driven. I, I think you can't do a development without thinking about the community at large. Right. But you know, when, when people say the word, the community, there are different communities, right? So there, there is the community, which is predominantly Providence, which is, you know, in Olyville, 70% communities of color. Mm -hmm. And then there's a community that's coming to Providence because they like the small city that has great food, the small city that has great food, um, you know, a great art scene, and just a lot of great things about it that, you know, GQ uh, rated Providence a foodie city because we don't, we have chains, but we have a lot of restaurants that you can't get anywhere else in the world. And they're just incredible. Like you go to Los Andes and you'll, you'll, you'll say, wow, this is incredible. You go to Troop, uh, which is right around us, and you'll say, this is incredible, but they're not anywhere in the, in the U.S. So there, some of them are catering towards that, that audience who's come in from outside of the city, right? Because mm -hmm. they're like, wow, this is a cool city. So some of those use cases cater to that community. Does that make yeah, sense? It does. But I think, I think, you know, I or any of the developers or any of the people living here, they would say that 
you know, their projects and what they're doing are open to everybody. Like, just like Bow Street is going to be open to everybody. I've never cared if people are white, black, purple, yellow, orange. I really don't care what you look like on the outside. That's just how I was raised. So Bow Street is going to reflect that. It's going to be open to all um, that want to come in. And, you know, the people in and around me, I would say that it's probably, they probably have it open to all, but certain communities may not use their use cases because, you know, if, if you're on the first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. you know, you're not thinking about food startups. You're just thinking about how do I get food to my family and children, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, not, you're not thinking about a Airbnb. You're thinking about, okay, my kids sleep two or three in the same room, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not thinking about flowers unless, you know, you're burying somebody, right? So different communities think of different things. And I think, you know, being a native from here, but understanding development and doing real estate in Manhattan, but not always living here, gives me just the different sensibility to see things from different people's perspective. Okay. Um, Do the developers, the other developers that are surrounding your property, see your uh, your project as a vehicle for bringing value to the community oh yeah yeah they, yeah they definitely do have so they, i mean have they invested in your project uh no so when the campaign was going on i'm not sure that they knew about the campaign um and that's the only way at the moment you could have invested in my in my uh project was through that campaign so i've i've not taken any equity investors. Um, I had a VC come down from New York. We had a great discussion, but I haven't taken any money from anybody for my project mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, that's your choice. It's not... Definitely my choice. Yeah. It's purposeful. It, it's, it's an exercise of patience. Right. And again, because of the different places that I've already applied to at the city, state, and federal level, yeah. um, it, it behooves me to wait. Um, because you, you want to make it debt free and you want to make it uh, obligation free basically to make sure you have full control is that what you're saying yeah the lower the debt service at the end of the day the the faster i can get to my next project after operational excellence i mean this is such a such an incredible project there must be a team uh, and I, I saw your website it's uh, like 50 people uh, on your yeah. team can you describe uh, what your team looks like? Uh, how much of that team is, uh, you know, full time, and who are the key people who have helped you uh, in this development? Yeah. So uh, my my team is is first and foremost very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like the community, uh, not just. It looks like the community as a whole. So everything that we just talked about. Um, you know, you know, the commit larger communities of color that are here, as well as communities that aren't from here, I've made sure to staff my team um, with that. So that that's first. Uh, one of the people uh, that's part of it, I mean, the education from my team is, you know, you have people like John Abruzzi, um, he's Harvard Law uh, graduate, uh, you have Miguel Cazada, uh, he is Dominican. Uh, native of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, he has an MBA from Babson, which is the number one MBA for entrepreneurship. Uh, you have 
you know, people, I have a wealth of people, you know, female, male, that are very highly educated, well-educated, and in all the different aspects of Bow Street, health, technology, engineering, um, literacy, we have somebody there that's an expert in it and that's educated in it. Um, so Boa is Southeast Asian. He's been a teacher. He lived in Seattle geez, for like maybe 14 or 15 years, but he's originally from Rhode Island. He went out to Seattle and he just came back. So he's part of the team as well. So it gives the ability to look at things from different vantage points and uh, different people that will see it from different perspectives. Um, when Bow Street is said and done, I'll be hiring probably about four to five FTE. Uh, so for the different uh, needs that are there, cultural experience, museum, events manager, operations manager. Um, so there'll be about four to five FTE that are hired when it's all said and done. And um, yeah, I think those are your questions, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, as far as the construction, are you employing, how, how do you approach the construction? Have you hired the gym or uh, uh, for, for, forgive me, uh, a CM, um, or uh, are you handling it, or uh, are you hiring people from the community? Is that so? It's going to be a little bit of both. So, I've already done an RFP and I'm down to three uh companies that I'll use, uh, and I'll be picking one. They've already given me estimates high level estimates based on redevelopment uh, of the property. So I've interviewed them, uh, so that's good. I've done the same with an arch architect. So I have three that I'm down to. They're well known in the city and the state uh, for like a lot of larger projects. And then the other part of your question, for every single one of them within the RFP, I've already told them that this building will not be built unless it has and puts out RFPs for the different sub um, needs that we'll have uh, through uh, MBE, WBE certified contractors. So minority business and women uh -huh. business enterprises. Um, so that that's going to be something I harp on and I push incredibly um, because, you know, that I just believe that that should be happening. You know, Rhode Island has a threshold for most projects of 10% uh, that it has to have for MBE, WBE my percentage will be higher than that. I can tell you that. What exactly, what percentage will be, I'm not sure. But when the subs and the different work goes out, I will be marketing myself through the different channels of Bow Street that this work is available, mm -hmm. uh, that they can apply. And again, the community knows me and I know the community. So when I announced uh, my project is, uh, I purchased the building and I've acquired it and here's what I'm doing. I think I got like a thousand people that liked it on like Facebook or something like that. So I, I can get out to the community very quickly. So I plan to do so for the different parts of the, of the development that are occurring that can be beneficial. I want the community's hands on it. And just to backtrack, so from the very beginning again, uh, when I had to do some of those light construction tasks, I actually had a company called Youth Build Providence as part of that. Youth Build Providence is a construction program for teenagers uh, in high school. And so they were part of it from the very, very beginning. Um, beyond the community, the 100, 188 investors, now you have Youth Build Providence that helped to do light demo 
and tasks in the building as well. So I, I've had that part of the building from day one mm-hmm. uh, on top of having over 75 to 80 community leaders to the building um, who visited the building. They've seen the building in its current state. Why did I do that? I did that because people will be even more ambassadors if they see where the building was and where you took it from to when they come to the grand opening. So it's all been very conscious and very strategic. And on top of that, it allows some of the biggest community leaders to come to give their input, to give their feedback, because they come with a wealth of knowledge. They come with incredible knowledge for the industries that they work in, of what the problems are, what they're seeing on the front lines. So why wouldn't I harness that, invite them to Bow Street, talk to them? And that's exactly what I did. So, you know, some of the best and brightest have been there. Um, The governor has been to my building. Uh, The mayor of the city has been to my building. Uh, some of the biggest foundations in my area have been to my building. Uh, it's, it's, I've made sure to socialize it well, because in the long run, you know, if you see it today, you'll know how truly far I've come when we cut the ribbon. And my, and my mother will be cutting the ribbon, by the way. That's, that's the vision I have in my head. Oh, that's good for you, man. That's terrific. How does she feel about it? Oh, she's ecstatic. She's, she's, uh, She's ecstatic, partly because, you know, you, you know, Evangelos, as immigrants to mm-hmm. the U.S., you know, you have certain dreams. So one of my father's dreams was to own a hall. He always wanted to own a hall. And, a, and he didn't call it a commercial building. He just said a hall. <laughs> so she's seeing the manifestation of that happening, like, in her eyes. Like, she, mm-hmm. she's the only one that has, like, a copy of the key to get in. And she's seeing a manifestation of that happening as, you know, I'm on the different news, uh, different media, podcasts, um, you know, I'm ri- the project is being written up. So she's ecstatic uh, in many respects. You know, they came here in the 70s to go to school. It's kind of the realization of an immigrant stream that, that's unfolding before her, yep. even though my father's not here. So she's happy about it. Very, very happy. He's not here with me physically, but he is here with me. I feel that. Good for you. Good for you. Um, there are a few examples of developments of similar, of the same sort, uh, adaptive reuse uh, developments in uh, low-income areas. Dilapidated areas, really, similar to Dumbo, like uh, the Valenta's uh, family, for example, two trees in Dumbo, which where the developer chose to play the waiting game and I don't call it uh, play the waiting game as in like uh, there's a game that he's playing. It's just that, you know, waited for a long time to for the, uh, I guess, the surrounding community to bring naturally value to to the buildings, to the, to the neighborhood that he purchased very cheaply. Um, are you, what's your, what do you foresee for the, the future of this community as far as value is concerned? Uh, and is that uh, part of the reason why you're doing it? And part of the reason why you're taking this approach, I mean, there must be also a concern about the bottom line because you also have investors and you're also an investor yourself. You're putting so much of it. Um, what do you foresee for the immediate and for the, uh, for the future as far as the value of the neighborhood? Are you, is it going to turn into a new, into a Dumbo, something like that? So the future of the community is vibrant and very, very bright. 
Um, I do see it's going to, uh, my prediction will be, and I could be totally wrong here, but is that it will turn into kind of like a federal, so there's an area that we have called Federal Hill. Um, it'll turn into a federal hill, which has, you know, restaurants that people want to come to. It's an area that people are like, wow, this is cool. It's well lit. Keep in mind that next to my parking lot, there is a bike path and a walking path that's being built with a bridge that, that they actually just dug the ground on uh, within the last two to three weeks. That's going to be built right next to my parking lot, of which I plan to do farmers markets as well. So I, I see the future as bright for this area, um, for sure. Um, for me, for the bottom line, for value, the building has already risen dramatically in value since I purchased it. So my investors, they're well taken care of. They're, 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 they're already good, even if I, which I, which I won't do, but even if I wanted to sell the property now and say, ah, you know what, I'm not gonna do this development. I'm gonna cash out on, the equity that's there now, because there's a significant amount of equity in the building already. Uh, my investors would be paid a handsome amount for their investment, and I would be paid a handsome amount from a, from a equity standpoint. So that's not a concern of mine. I'm, I'm good already um, yeah. from, from that perspective. Again, I own it free and clear. I don't owe anything. I'm not paying a loan every single month. The parking lot and the building are owned free and clear in an area now that people realize, okay, there's an indoor mall that's coming there, which actually opens, I think, the end of this by the end of this month. There is a 40-room boutique hotel. There is a restaurant being built in a church. There's 34 arcade games being built at the bottom of that same church. There's an Airbnb. That all of that's going on around me. So that's only going to increase the value of what I'm doing as I. As my, my building right now is the ugliest building in the area because outside it looks like it's falling apart. Inside, it looks like a steel tank. Like you can <laughs> see the aged cement beams are beautiful. The structure is solid. I've already had a structural engineer there um, who's verified that. Um, so I'm not worried about the value. The value is going to keep increasing. Um, to your last point, am I waiting? No, I'm not waiting. The only thing I'm waiting for is to be strategic and smart with investment capital um, and the different opportunities that are out there to see where I fall within the different opportunities that are there. But I'm not waiting uh, to see what other people are doing. I've always been a person that leads from the front, um, although I can listen and play the back. So I've always been somebody that, you know, I see something that isn't being done, like rise with my wife, like New England Family Fun Festival with myself, Bow Street, I create it, I do it, and I make it happen, but I'm not waiting to see, okay, what is this person doing or what is that person doing? Once I've looked at the market demographics, I've done the market research myself, um, I've been thorough in that, I've looked at the need, is there a need or does it fill a need? From there, I'm, I'm, I'm gone, um, so, so yeah. I guess when I, when I said, uh, waiting, I did not mean waiting to, to, as you described it, I meant more like buy and hold the real estate as opposed to flipping it as you did in the past. This, uh, the, uh, in a situation, oh, like yeah. this is like a very long haul, right? You're looking at what, uh, I mean, perhaps for the rest of your life, owning this, this building, uh, or, or a minimum of, uh, several decades. Um, 
that's that's what I that's what I meant as far as uh, Got it. yeah no yeah I'm not doing that I'm not doing the buy and hold I think buy and hold in an area that that's trying to revitalize can be detrimental to the community right because the developer is sitting there on something that he or she could be potentially developing making the area nicer making the community have a tangible asset but yeah. is just holding just for monetary value um, you know, I, I don't think that's the best for the community, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's just me. Um, as far as uh, planning, by the way, if you're if you're running out of time, feel free. I have so many questions to ask you, but if you're if you're running out of time, let me know. We'll, we'll come. Go for it. Um, so I visited Providence once, and it was uh, while I was in architecture school at MIT. We just went there, and one of the things that struck me was that it's been bisected several times by uh, expressways. And um, I'm looking at the map right now where only been, only uh, little is located and separated by from uh, Federal Hill by, uh, by an expressway. And I know that uh, the disconnect from, disconnection from uh, downtown Providence is pretty significant for many neighborhoods and that has caused a lot of uh, social issues. Uh, do you feel that um, these expressways, if if somehow magically someone struck a wand and they were removed, do you feel that somehow Providence would become a much better city that would transform better, that perhaps Onlyville had an easier time to integrate more with the rest of the city and value would uh, trickle down into Onlyville much faster? Yeah, that, so you're not, you're not here locally, but I think you'd be happy to know that's already happening. So, as, oh yeah. So as we speak now, you know, there's a street called Westminster and there's a street called Broadway. They are, and this is the state, this is a state project. Um, they are ahead of schedule in building bridges that connect the neighborhood to Onlyville. Um, and part of those bridges, when you come down on the Westminster street side, you will connect to the bike path and the walking path that I mentioned to you before. And when you come out on Dyke Street, mm -hmm. um, you'll be right next to my parking lot. Oh, that's terrific. So that, that, that's actually being done now. And then, you know, because a, a lot of the city and the state, they've gotten a significant amount of money that they can use towards infrastructure. Right, so, so, so you're talking about Broadway and Westminster Streets, is that? Is that the Broadway and Westminster Street projects have already started happening. Those are, I think, I slated to be done in May and June um, yeah. of this year. But that is before monies and investment that will be going into the infrastructure streets, roads, signage, lighting has hit Providence. Mm -hmm. None of that uh, has hit Providence yet. They're still in the cons uh, consultative phase, uh, but it, it's forthcoming. Yeah, but you would admit that the expressways as they are are hurting the city. Yeah, and, they, and they've and they opened some of that already. Again, you're not local, but some of the expressways, like there was one called the missing link because to your point, I think it was 70, 80 years ago, mm -hmm. it was cut in such a way that it made the congestion flow into Onlyville more. Mm -hmm. They've recently now rebuilt that highway so that there's a link directly to Six West, um, which eases the congestion and the flow 
to your very point. Again, you're not local, but these things are happening as we speak. Great. So back to you again, I guess, uh, what is your own uh, image of yourself right now? How do you see yourself? Image of myself, sheesh. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, I can't say I'm a very uh, narcissistic kind of guy where I think of my image of myself. Um, so that's a tough question for me to answer. What, what I will say is in my life, what I try to do is lean on the skills that I have, mm -hmm. the skills that I'm most, the, to, to affect the things that I'm most passionate about and change lives in the process in the best way that I can. Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of what I would say about myself. That's my goal in life. My goal in life is to work in the things that I enjoy. I love real estate, love marketing, love sales, love entrepreneurship. Just keep working in the things that I enjoy. Use those things and the gifts that I have, because I believe I have different gifts than other people and everybody has their own gifts to make people's lives better and sustain myself. Um, that's kind of how I look at things. But my vision of myself, I don't get into that. But, you know, I, I think I know the vision that people have of me because of, you know, the things that they put in the testimonials when they invested in the campaign. So I had 188 people invest. I probably had 113 testimonials of which you know, you sometimes don't know what people think of you because they say the nice things when you're dead, <laughs> right? Um, this campaign, I right. guess, showed me what a lot of people think of me, um, which I wasn't, I, I wasn't really cognizant of. Like I knew, like some people thought highly of me, but I didn't know it was as much as what I read in the campaign and kind of what I see in different places. So. You know, it's tough for me to answer what I think of myself. I, I, I'm just being me. I'm just, just doing what I know to do, being me. I'm not in competition with anybody else. Yeah. I don't feel like, I feel like, you know, I was uh, in high school, I was an all-state track runner. I ran track D1 and, you know, my record is still uh, unbroken in my high school, which they just inducted me into the Hall of Fame last year. I, I view that I'm still that guy. Oh, thank you. I, I still view I'm that guy running in my own lane. All I can see is what's in front of me. I'm not looking left or right or what anybody else is doing. I have my own kind of destiny. That, that's, that's how I look at it. That's terrific. Um, you mentioned before that you have a basketball team. What's the name of it again? So Team Providence Travel. Um, I realized, Evangelos, that... Uh, probably four years ago, that the city of Providence was not in the Rhode Island Youth Basketball Association, which the other, the other, the majority of the other 39 cities and towns were. Mm -hmm. So I worked to uh, bring a team to them. Um, I started with one team the first year, then I did four teams the next year. Um, this past weekend, we actually won three, three, all four of my teams made it to the state championship. Wow. Three, three out of the four won the state championship. The sixth grade team lost. They were missing some of their, their guys that they normally have. And then this next weekend coming up, 
um, literally tomorrow we start, we're competing for the New England Championship. So um, yeah, so it's a pretty successful organization and I've used it. Again, basketball is the carrot, but basically what I've done is I make them take uh, financial literacy and empowerment, which again is done by one of the content providers who will be in Bow Street, uh, Financial Literacy Youth Initiative. And I make them, I did a real estate and residential commercial seminar where I took them into the developments that I'm talking about with you. Because again, I talked to all the developers around me. Um, so I asked them their permission and I showed them what a development looks like from the beginning. And what I'll do in this seminar is I'll show it the same young people in the middle, and then they'll be invited to the grand opening. And keep in mind, they're fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I used to play basketball when I was a boy. Uh, I mean, until I was 18, frankly, but my most memorable uh, moments were from uh, the team I had joined when I was 12 years old. We yeah. recently actually got back together and it's it's amazing how these uh, bonds never die. It's like a it's like a day yeah. that hasn't passed by, and yeah. uh, it's amazing what you're doing because I'm thinking that basketball is of course a great vehicle for building bond, bonds among people, very strong ones, and you're pairing that of course with uh, knowledge of real estate, etc. And you are a role model uh, in that regard as well because you're building a community, uh, sorry, you're developing this project, et cetera. Do you feel that you, uh, you would be a role model for these kids, these local kids, and that they would actually eventually create similar projects in the future? Have some of them expressed that to you? That, that's the goal. The goal is to plant the seeds that can blossom into possibilities in the future. Yeah. Um, they, they all know. So my first team Providence travel team, um, like from three, three years ago now that won the state championship, mm -hmm. uh, they're in high school now. So recently I just went to a game at the uni at university of Rhode Island. It was a high school championship game. So it was my, my high school classical high school and another school called Hendricken and, you know, they, they saw me with my son. They're like, hey, coach, can we go with you uh, to, to the game at University of Rhode Island? It's a 40-minute drive. All their parents were okay with it. They came in my car. So to that point, for me, once you're in my program, I know you. Yeah. You're just, you're like my son. So you, and they know that. They can call me. They can ask me questions. And a lot of them often do. They'll call me and ask me this or that or my thoughts on this or that. They do it sometimes through Instagram, sometimes they do it through text, sometimes they do it through email. My goal is to leave the gifts that I have on the planet while I'm here. At the end of the day, none of us is gonna be here forever. We only have a, a short amount of time, but each of us has a gift that if we give, other people can benefit from it. My goal is just to give what I can give from a knowledge perspective, from a confidence perspective, and just see them blossom. And my payment may not be anything monetary. My payment may be that I just see that they're doing really good or one of them is a financial advisor one day or one it just bought a house and the principles that they knew, FICO, APR, they learned when they were fifth, sixth grade. That's kind of how I look at things in life. 
I want to, I sleep easy at night because I give what I can give and I do the best that I can. Again, without competing with anybody, I don't worry about what anybody else does. I really don't. Um, I'm in kind of my own lane and I just want to do good, uh, do well and do now.